the telco that wants to send an ad to somebody's mobile device, they don't want to send it on a Monday morning when it rains and the person is on public transportation because they figure that they're not very receptive to any marketing at that point. So to bring all that together and to have that information would be the, the perfect vision of a 360 degree view of the customer. Welcome to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast series. I'm Amin Ramashariki, Esri Urban Analytics Lead, and I'll be your host for today. You just heard International Data Corporation Tech Trends Analyst Dan Vesit talk about a company that uses real-time spatial analytics to maximize its customer engagement. With billions of devices connected to the internet, each with a unique location, leading companies turn to spatial technology to improve BI and enhance CRM. Listen to Esri Marketing Program's lead, Ed Loker, delve into the story of how organizations use the power of location to get a holistic view of markets and customers. So, Dan, thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule to speak with us today. We're really looking forward to the conversation. So focusing on the data a little bit, I, I heard a phrase for the first time this week, but it turns out that it's been around for a while. Data is the new oil. So how do you feel? I mean, how would you react to that statement? Is, is data going to be the engine of growth, of prosperity, of, of evolution or exploration in the coming years? Or is that really hyperbole at this point? So I, I do think it's, it is like oil in many ways or some other source of energy, right, or capital for that matter. So it's something that um, companies and people can invest in to derive some additional value. So I think that's, that's a key point is that it's in and of itself, it, it doesn't have value. Something has to be done to the data. And where we're seeing in our research more value being derived from data is where multiple different data sets are being combined together and where appropriate algorithms are being applied to the data and then where uh, the results of that are applied in in production what's going to be the key driver to that will enable people like me who who are not super data savvy scientists but to be able to take and work with large amounts of data at scale and to derive insight for marketing for other industries for manufacturing for lots of different places um, what is going to be that key driver in the next couple of years on on making data data and insight accessible? So I think there are two sides to it. One will be machine learning itself. So the technology vendors like Esri, for example, in, incorporating analytics into other applications. So whether it's a marketing application or a financial services application or you know some government application. Um, be having uh, that analytic functionality in a format and form that's accessible to uh, business users and business analysts, not just uh, data scientists. Because uh, while uh, math is free, uh, data scientists are indeed very expensive. And uh, I don't think there will be a huge influx of supply of great data scientists. So we'll still have a small group of kind of top experts, and they will be the ones uh, enabling the rest of the rest of us who are still in need of better information and you know faster information and more insightful information. Um, but I think we'll see more embedding of analytics into all forms of other applications, but also consumer devices and physical assets out there. Um, and that's how the analytics will become more pervasive and more accessible. And I think the user interface will be also be a key there. So uh, visualization of information in appropriate formats, um, 
you know, not just having a chart there, but having also explanatory text about what the analysis means and what to do about it potentially. So we're starting to see first sign of prescriptive uh, analytics where it's uh, analysis and prediction, but then also uh, prescription based on some op mathematical optimization. So if the data scientists are the, the scarcity in that equation, what is going to be the bridge that is going to create that accessibility for users at scale? So I think one, one thing is that hasn't been settled yet is the uh, organizational structure of the analytics group or groups within an, an organization. There's a lot of uh, data is siloed, but also some of these analytic experts are siloed throughout the organization. And given the scarcity, uh, we're seeing in some of the best practices that it makes sense to bring them together, to have a quark and a shared service of anal analysts, uh, really the kind of the data, the very uh, high level of expertise in data science led by a chief analytics officer, which is a role that we're starting to see rise up as well. Um, but then have other business analysts spread throughout the organization, those who understand the, the, whether it's a marketing function or supply chain function or other business function, and have those, uh, those analysts interact with that central data science group. I think the biggest challenge there will be the, uh, the language barrier between the two. Sometimes the data scientists tend to speak statistics and not everybody can understand that. So uh, we've heard of, uh, uh, we've heard of, uh, you know, companies that kind of are hiring these, they are calling them multilingual, uh, you know, uh, communicators who can speak to both sides of the equation and bridge that gap. Is that core shared services pillar that you just described really the, the key ingredient for what it's going to take for analytics to become the next great pervasive enterprise technology. So we're all, everybody has a CRM system right now. Everybody has an ERP system. Is there going to be an analytics platform that is driven by this, uh, this office of, of core analytics that you just described? I think that would be a key ingredient, but it won't be the only ingredient. So I think uh, another, another uh, aspect of this is that I think everybody needs to recognize that there are different types of analytics, that not everybody should be a data scientist or can be a data scientist. And so that core group will serve a function for most advanced uh, uh, kind of exploratory ad hoc analysis, uh, but really for the broad masses to have access to analytics, uh, it, it's back to having uh, the outputs of that analysis embedded in other applications. Uh, whether it's CRM or, or whether it's marketing or, or supply chain optimization, where it's the driver that is being guided by analytics, you know, created at, at the central office by the central team. So it could be anybody at the front office. It could be uh, people in the field. It could be business analysts, could be executives who are benefiting. But we'd, we wouldn't expect them all to be you know, deep analysts. Talk to me a little bit about visualization as this growing component of information. It certainly makes it more accessible, at least in my mind, if I don't have to worry about the algorithms, if I don't have to worry about that higher level data science that's happening in the background and somebody can paint me a picture on, okay, here's some campaigns or here's a customer segmentation or, or here are some things that I can make actionable business decisions on. How is the visualization piece going to manifest itself going forward? So in the, in the analytics and business intelligence domain, uh, that has existed for 30 years at least, maybe more. There's been um, a lot of change for the better in visualization, a lot more uh, user-friendly interfaces. Uh, but there's still, there's, there's 
right way and the wrong way, I think, to do a visualization. I think too much of it today still is based on just information delivery. So here's a dashboard. And yes, it looks nicer today than it did 10 years ago, um, but it doesn't help guide the person through their decision-making process. So I think storytelling becomes extremely important. So adding some context to the uh, just a pure visualization of individual data points, um, that's, uh, that's, I think, the next frontier is kind of adding maybe even uh, natural language outputs to the, to the actual visualization that, again, automatically guides somebody and explains to them what they're seeing and what they should be doing next, given the data set. What are the projected economic benefits that are associated with analytics and things? What kind of value is this type of analysis in providing this insight to industries literally across the entire spectrum? What kind of value is that going to unlock? So I think that's a, that's an important question because we still find in working with our customers is that too many of them are not necessarily assessing the, the, the ROI of their analytics projects. Some will just say, oh, you know, new projects enable better decision-making, but that's too ambiguous. Better, you know, what does it mean to have better decision-making? And I think it takes quite a bit of discipline to assess the before situation, then the project that happened, and then to attribute the benefits specifically to the analytics. Um, you know, especially, you know, in marketing, attribution is difficult in many ways, but it's also true in, other, in some of the other areas where it, where it's easier is when it gets to very tactical decisions in uh, tactical operational decisions where you have large volumes of data. So fraud detection, for example, or, or uh, lift in an advertising campaign. If you can show even a small percentage lift to what it was before, uh, you can assign value to that. Or you know, prevention of fraud, you can assign value to that. Um, but I think you know, value could be generated really across the, across the economy. It could be commercial value, it could be better healthcare, it could be better uh, public safety, um, could be uh, better environmental protection. So value really, I think, needs to be defined for every organization for, for themselves or what value means to them. Are there specific sectors or categories that lend themselves to the adoption of this technology more than others? Well, adoption is really across the board. I mean, there's no sector that doesn't adopt it, but there's certain, uh, certainly there's high adoption in financial services and, and has been for a while, uh, but also in uh, industries like telecommunications and retail and uh, logistics, transportation. Really, there's, it's, today, um, there's really no part of the economy that has not adopted some form of analytics. They may be at different levels of maturity and Certainly, this, the level of spending is very different across industries, but it's really quite pervasive. Is there a common theme among those that are moving quicker than some of the other ones? What is that driver that is, that is really incenting companies to move quickly? Really, competition is, is the number one driver. And so industries that have less competition tend to be uh, a little bit slower in adoption. Um, regulation is an, another one. Um, so sometimes regulation will force organizations to uh, focus on specifically on data management and governance. Um, and from there, they may leverage that same investment then into analytics. What are those cultural characteristics that really lend themselves to, to adopting this? So I think, you know, culture is extremely important because it's not just technology. I mean, anybody could just go out 
and biotechnology, right? But uh, they may not be getting all the value from, from analytics. Um, it's really, I mean, a lot of it is top-down top um, cultural change and, and driving uh, in a data-driven uh, decision-making uh, practices. And it, and it almost always has to be top-down. There has to be both incentive to do that. There has to be encouragement from top executives to do that. Um, and there has to be investment then, you know, to in, in technology and in data to do that. Um, and uh, collaboration is an important aspect there. So encouraging uh, managers and other decision makers to collaborate based on the data. And we've seen it time and again. Uh, I even called it kind of business analytics envy at one point. Like somebody comes to a meeting with a better information than somebody else or better visualization or, or something that's more interactive and easier to manipulate and and others immediately want it want the same thing they want to have that information at their fingertips so um kind of knowledge sharing information dissemination within a company is is a key aspect of kind of creating that culture data-driven culture what are some of the pitfalls that organizations fall into with data and analytics and and this rush towards data as a insight into making business decisions? I think the biggest one still is kind of investing in the latest and greatest technology without thinking through what the the business need is or how what are the shortcomings of today's existing technology that they may have or what is the shortcoming uh, in the decision-making process that they have today because I think with all the uh, acronyms out there, BI and and BA and, and machine learning and AI. And I think we sometimes forget that it's all there to help somebody make a decision or to automate the decision. And so you have to assess the decision-making process. And there's a um, kind of field within this domain of decision management, which uh, doesn't, I think, get enough respect because it's it's difficult. I think another one is um, an evaluation of the data, going back to the understanding the value of data. There's still uh, too many companies that struggle with with making a case for why they why the company should be investing in in data and in investing perhaps more aggressively than they did in the past, and maybe uh, maybe accountants are to blame a little bit because there's no accounting standards for valuing information for now. You know, it gets kind of lumped into goodwill on the balance sheet as opposed to other assets. So I think if, if data is the new oil or a, a new asset or new capital, there needs to be a better way to value it. Uh, you've written quite a bit about governance with regards to data and analytics within an organization. Uh, why is this so important? I mean, isn't, isn't mastering that technology itself the most important thing? Or, or really, is it what you do with the, the technology, the analytics, and the data that you have is, is really the, the key driver of value? So governance becomes important again, to provide some discipline to the organization. So um, really, it's a big impediment to kind of this overall data-driven culture, not having data governance. And I mentioned earlier, we're seeing more chief analytics officers uh, uh, emerge in companies. And in parallel, there's the chief data officer. And often that person's um, uh, role is focused on data management, data governance, and data integration. So I think there's a greater re recognition that data governance is a key role and a key process that needs to exist to 
to be able to create a common language within the organization. So we talked a little bit about the, the pitfalls before. What are the biggest challenges facing organizations today? Is it getting the cultural adoption within their own organization to rely on and trust the data and, and use it to make better decisions? What are those, those big challenges facing organizations today? Well, the hardest and the longest one to change is the cultural challenge, is, is to align uh, incentives the right way, is to encourage people to start using more data and you know, in parallel hire the right analysts into the company, which may be expensive or just hard to find. Two of the biggest challenges today. And I think another one is, um, is uh, lack, of, uh, lack of data, which may be a strange statement given that we're all talking about big data these days, but um, there's now an opportunity to bring in external data. So it could be location data, it could be weather data, it could be um, social media data that's coming from outside of the company and bringing all that together with your internal uh, transactional data or financial data or your internal social media data, for example, or website data, um, and creating these unique data assets based on based on the integration of these data data sets. So, um, you know, we would I would expect more companies are starting going or will start um, integrating more external data into their uh, environments. The key, I think, for for companies looking to expand their analytics programs is to recognize different types of analytics and different types of decision-making that exist. So there's a, there's a place for ad hoc exploration. So if you kind of take data science literally, the science part of it is exploring, exploration. Uh, and then there's another role who is much more you know, business-oriented and bound within specific, very specific, perhaps short-term goals. And then there may be an executive level decision-making process that looks at three, five, 10 years out. And they all have different needs and different relationship with analysts and different relationship with the data. So they're all, I think in any large company, they should all exist. Uh, you mentioned just a, a few moments ago, the, the role of location and adding third-party data and things like that. And, and what can location bring to this mix of data, both internal and external and third-party? And and how does location add um, extra value into the opportunity to, to derive insight from these mountains of data? Well, it, it, location is one of those universal variables, like everything is somewhere. So <laughs> there's, uh, there's location applies to people and things and, and uh, sales numbers and, and uh, everything. So there's, there's just value in that. And if, you, if somebody does not have that location element to the data, just understanding it at a, at a more granular level than maybe it has been in the past. So it's fine to understand your, let's say, sales by region or by country, but there's additional value if you can do that now by, by zip code or, or street address or whatever the level of granularity that's available. So there's, there's that element. Um, I think another element of location, byproduct of location is movement also. And I think that's becoming more uh, important, tracking certain, certain processes where you need to track things in real time and understand um, how location changes over time, whether it's in real time or over some periods of time. Um, so, and, and then I think that opens up then all kinds of additional possibilities for analysis where you're adding location to, uh, let's say, weather and somebody's, uh, uh, you know, propensity to buy something. So 
I remember talking to a client who was there. This would, would have been their ideal scenario. So it's a, it's a telco that wants to send an ad to somebody's mobile device, but they want they, they don't want to send it on a Monday morning when it rains and the person is on public transportation because they figure that they're upset already. <laughs> they're not very receptive to any marketing at that point. So to bring all that together and to have that information is, is kind of the, you know, it would be the, the perfect vision of a 360 degree view of the customer. Very, very few, I think, have that capability today. What's the next major technology disruptor on the horizon? Maybe five, 10 years. So we've got analytics, we've got data, we've got machine learning, we've got these things. And, and I understand you had mentioned, you know, let's not all lump them into the same bucket because they're very distinct. But what is that next thing that is going to create value for those forward thinking organizations? So I think it will be artificial intelligence. I think it will be some form of really thinking machines that are not at the human level. You know, within 10 years, they won't be at the human level of intelligence, but they will become experts in certain domains on which they're trained. And they will be able to not just answer a specific question like we would ask today in a, for, of a search engine, but they would actually be able to have a conversation with a, with a human and augment uh, that human's expertise. Um, AI will be one of those one of those key uh, key elements. And I think um, I think another big disruptor coming forward is everybody you know today is uh, using and and talking about apps. And the question is, uh, what happens when we have more of these you know, bots, mini bots that serve a very specific function? You know, function. There's, for example, on a consumer side, there's a bot that uh, can help you save money. So they, you, you connect your bank account to it and it will look at your cash flow coming in and out. And if there's anything extra, it will automatically move that to uh, savings, you know, uh, their savings account in that case, uh, which is your account, but on, on their, their platform. Um, but it's all, you know, it's all automated. You don't really have to do anything. It will, and it will adjust. So it's not rules-based. It will adjust based on the patterns of your, your, uh, your spending and income. And is it going to be easier to, to train these bots to talk to each other than it is going to be to converse with a human? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> because they are not going to be constrained by, you know, what we as humans expect of, of the machines. Um, but I think the bigger challenge there will be, uh, trust, trust of humans that they are doing the right thing, that the machines are doing the right thing and that they're acting in our interest. And that will kind of cascade through everything. Trust in the, that the algorithm is not biased in some ways, trust in the data that it's high quality and the you know, freshest and latest data. Um, that would be a big, uh, I think big aspect of this is kind of trust will have some kind of a premium, I think. So if you can prove that your service is kind of more trustworthy, um, you can get beyond the issue of kind of the black box AI system that some people will not trust. Thank you so much for, for spending some time with us. It's been a really interesting conversation. Thanks a Great. lot. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. And thank you, Dan Vesset, for emphasizing what will be a recurring theme in this series, how location power technology and spatial analytics drive business growth and help organizations realize their own digital transformation. To learn more, download our ebook, Making Sense of Digital Transformation, at esri.com forward slash where. To keep current with new interviews, visit our podcast page at esri.com forward slash podcast.